Hey everyone, how's it going? You're listening to another episode of the Wild Voices Project Podcast with me, Matt Williams. And today you're going to hear a different episode, something that's a little bit of an experiment, but which I hope you're going to enjoy. I'm not going to fully introduce the episode now because uh, I do that in a moment in some other audio clips that I've already recorded. But what I will say is that this is a special episode of the Wild Voices Project podcast in collaboration with the Meet the Farmers podcast by Ben Eagle. Uh, You're going to hear what this episode is about in a moment, as I've just said, so I won't go into that right now. But I think it's a really interesting episode that focuses on and sheds some light on the overlap that there is between farming, in this case sheep farming in northwest Wales, and nature conservation. And I'm hoping that this won't be the last uh, ever collaboration between the Meet the Farmers and the Wild Voices Project podcasts. It's the first, and I'm hoping that you enjoy it and that it proves a successful experiment and that we can try it again in the future. So if you want to find out more about the Meet the Farmers podcast, which is presented by Ben Eagle, you can go to thinkingcountry.com forward slash meet hyphen the hyphen farmers hyphen podcast. And you can find Ben on Twitter at, and I'm just going to look up his Twitter handle because I can't remember it off the top of my head, uh, at Benji, that's B-E-N-J-Y underscore eagle. Um, Ben's a fantastic blogger. His Meet the Farmers podcast is a really interesting insight into the world of farming, particularly for those of us who have quite a basic or rudimentary understanding of it, and I'd really recommend subscribing to that as well. And of course, the Wild Voices Project podcast brings you the stories of the people saving nature, just like Teleri Fielden, who you're about to hear from. And you can subscribe to the Wild Voices Project podcast and to Meet the Farmers as well through iTunes and to the Wild Voices Project podcast through Stitcher too. And you can find us at www.wildvoicesproject.org and on Twitter at Wild Voices Proj. I think that's everything, guys. Um, if, you're, if you're able to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes anytime, that would be really great. But without any further ado, I think let's dive in to this exciting joint episode. scholarship to run this farm uh, and gain skills as a young farmer. Um, Previous scholars have been based there for 13 months, but I believe I'm right in saying, and we'll find out when we get there, that Tulare is the first young farmer who's been awarded the scholarship to spend three years on the farm to give her longer to get to know the farm and to build up more skills as well, which I think the idea behind extending it is to benefit both the young scholar and the farm itself as well. 
So yeah, we're off to meet Larry and record a joint episode of Meet the Farmers and the Wild Voices Project podcasts. Yeah, so that's that's Cindy Ness. Um, and the legend is that the the white dragon and the red dragon, as in the red dragon that's on the Welsh flag, fought on that bit up there. They fought, and the red dragon won, obviously, and the white dragon is now at the bottom of the lake, and that's why the red dragon is on the flag, in theory. So, ah. yeah, so basically you can see the bottom of the lake there, and then can you see that kind of ridge line rising up to the left? Um, yeah. That is basically Lundy's boundary. So the ridge line, if you follow it all the way along at the top there, yeah. that's all Lundy Mountain, basically. That's the kind of um, mountain heathland until you get to that final peak there and there's a dry stone wall running down yeah um so that's my boundary with next door basically um and then yeah from the bottom of the lake so all that kind of that's all the boggy mire around there so that gets a little bit of um quite light grazing by the cattle really all the woodland here sort of rising up from the the, the, the boggy part um that's all a special area of conservation so that's part of the Marianid oak woods um, right. So it's kind of it's almost most northern northern point of the Oakwood. So it's, it comes all the way from Dogetha, um, and I think it's an SSC because of the lesser horseshoe bats and all the the mosses and lichens that yeah, yeah. I like. Um, and then you've got the Freve. I don't know what. So in Eng... Freve, right? So Danwall basically is what we would call it. So above the wall is what you'd call the mountain. Yeah. And below the wall, Danwall is freed, and it's basically the thing in between the mountain and in between your lower improved ground. Yep. Right. And it's kind of it's this stuff you hear behind us. Okay. It's like rough. It was acid grassland, kind of rough grazing, basically. Yeah. It's not improved or anything. Um, and you've got a bit of, you know, kind of a bit of wooden coming into it, and heather and bracken, and and then grazing as well. So that's kind of our rough grazing. And then the very green fields <laughs> is my four small <laughs> improved fields that kind of everything hinges on. So they, that's all my winter forage. That's my lambing time. That's my fattening. Um, so, yeah, the farm's quite heavily reliant on those four fields, really. So, but yeah, that's my mix, my very big mix. <laughs> I can only say to our poor listeners that the downside <laughs> of podcasts is that you just can't see the view that we're looking at right now. Because it's just stunning. What does Shundirfas mean? So Shundir literally translates to Black Lake, Lower Black Lake. <laughs> yeah. Um, but not really, because the Shundir, the D part, is spelt D-Y, which yeah. isn't actually black. So I don't know, <laughs> in short. Our guest today is Teleri Fielden, a first-generation farmer who won a National Trust scholarship to run the farm here at <laughs> Go on. Now, we're going to say this a lot today, <laughs> so I need I, to get it I right. Thought, I felt like I figured it out last night. Is it, yeah, Clidnu Isav. <laughs> no? Yes? Sundi Isav. Sundi Isav. Sundi Isav. Sundi Isav. Not bad. Okay. <laughs> Our guest today is Teleri Fielden, a first generation farmer who won a National Trust scholarship to run the farm here at Sundi Isav. A hill farm in the heart of Snowdonia. Teleri is the latest National Trust Young Farmers Club, Isaf Clindy, Clindy, Clindy Isaf, Clindy Isaf <laughs> scholar. She read geography at Aberystwyth University, uh, and then after graduating, she flew to California for four months of voluntary work uh, with a food policy council, which I will talk about a bit maybe. 
um, after which she moved back to Wales and then France, um, where she was given the opportunity to share That says where she skied for a season. <laughs> it does say that. <laughs> which we were going to pass over. But yeah, where she did her ski season. We'll have some fun. <laughs> Just, I was going to say... <laughs> uh, but she also gave the opportunity to share farm, but felt she wanted to return to her Welsh roots, coming back to a marketing role with the Farmers Union of Wales, and then winning the scholarship to farm here. That's a very whistle-stop tour um, of your life so far. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Yeah, thank it's, you. Uh, it's brilliant to be here, despite the immensely long journey from Essex yeah, it was well. totally worth it <laughs> well, I'm glad not. it's not raining for you actually because it was supposed to chuck it down today and I thought oh, oh they're going to appear and think oh it always rains in Wales but it doesn't <laughs> it really doesn't um, so we're going to kick off with a question that I usually ask at the top of my podcast which is where did your interest passion choose whatever word you want for the outdoors nature conservation the environment first begin Okay. Um, well, my granddad, my tide, he used to farm. Um, and so a lot of our weekends or holidays were spent on just sort of probably getting in the way and playing in the farm, really. Um, and then we've always been quite an outdoorsy family anyway. So we're always kind of walking. And then I've always had um, very badly behaved ponies as well. So, <laughs> um, so tended to be, yeah, you know, every morning before school, we'd always sort of cycle down and do the mucking out. And yeah, so it was always very much a kind of outdoorsy growing up. And then the farming definitely came from my tide, from my granddad wanting to, wanting to follow in his footsteps, really. Did you help out on his farm growing up? <laughs> Um, I don't think helping out would be how he would he would describe it. Um, he sold the farm when I was ten, so anything I was doing before then was very much um, pottering around, really. Um, but yeah, and he was always he was very interested in in woodlands actually. Um, so when he sold the farm, he actually took on he kept some land back and planted it up with ash trees mostly. Um, so he's always been quite interested in the conservation side of farming as well. So. Yeah, I guess that might have rubbed off a little bit. <laughs> and w at what age did your aspiration to move into farming yourself or become a farmer begin? Well, uh, I don't remember this, but according to mum, um, when I was four years old, um, my tide had given me an old John Deere waistcoat, which I just thought was the bee's knees. Um, <laughs> and I put that on, and at the, at the time we were living in a two up, two down in Wrexham. Um, and I announced that I wanted to be a lady farmer, a lady. whatever a lady farmer is. Um, so yeah, it started quite young and then, um, yeah, it sort of progressed from there really. I sort of went off on different tacks, sort of got, got quite interested in more the animal side and more the environmental side. And then during university, got really interested in food policy and it just kept bringing me back to farming really. It was always so, it's so tied into everything, so... That is where That's Lady where Farmer came from. from. Yes, thinking, yes, yeah. exactly. And I literally had, you know, she had a little piggy bank that said, um, "Please donate generously yeah. to her farm pot." Basically, I had one of those piggy banks that I was saving up for a farm in. So, Brilliant. yeah, totally Dick Kingsmith <laughs> Sophie story. Before before we delve in, in deeper to the, can you give us some context of uh, the surrounding area here and the farm itself? Yeah, sure. So the farm itself is a 600-acre hill farm. Um, we're not actually incredibly high, although it feels it, because we're surrounded by, well, Snowdon and Moilhead Bog. And, yeah. um, 
actually the the foot of the the farm is basically the the lake Shindinas. Um, so that's literally fifty five meters above sea level. It's not quite high at all. And then it goes right up to Mola Dinerwid, which is three hundred and fifty meters. Um, it's a real mix. So there's 400, 400 acres of sort of um, how would you even describe it? Um, heathland, <laughs> shall we say? Um, pretty pretty mixed kind of. There's quite a lot of woodland regeneration happening there now. There's a lot of heather, there's a lot of bracken. It's an absolute bugger to walk through, but it's an amazing place. And then we've got acid grassland. We've got native woodland here. We've got the lake. We've got a lot of boggy <laughs> um, sort of wet pastures and mire. Um, and then about four fields of improved grazing. So it's a very, very mixed, albeit beautiful, farm. <laughs> um, and, you know, we were dry with driven here this morning and driven through the beautiful kind of surrounding mm. landscape uh, and national park. How does it feel to live and work in a, in a landscape <laughs> like this? It is amazing. I was saying before, you sometimes when you get so engrossed in your work and you're here every day, mm. you sort of don't, you don't think about it. You're just, oh, you know, I need to do this and that to that. And then you sort of, suddenly you'll stop or you'll be somewhere or you'll need to wait for someone and you just look around and go whoa <laughs> this is this is actually where where I'm living now um it's definitely got its challenges this sort of terrain and and the weather and the winter etc um so I think you see the beauty in a different way <laughs> when you're living in it and when you when you really get to know the place um it's maybe not such a maybe when I moved here it was very idyllic um whereas now maybe I love it warts and all I think so yeah you you lived in several different I'm gonna say several different landscapes actually. <laughs> yeah. But Wales brought you back. Definitely. We were talking in the car, um, maybe a bit ethereally, about hefting. Ah, yes. Um, and stock being hefted to a particular area. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's the same with people as well? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I was thinking about you know, my my own journey sort of going back to Essex as well yeah. and having a real affinity with that landscape. I'm guessing that you have the same uh, same here. Yeah, definitely. I think possibly my heft is a bit more general in terms of it's... Because I'm not growing up on a farm, there's mm. not one certain place or one certain farm for me. Um, it's farming in general. And obviously, yeah, I worked in other places farming. But I think for me, my heft <laughs> would be kind of the Wales agricultural community in general. It was that that I wanted to come back to, more than the landscape, to be honest. Um I sort of find, I loved France, but I think here, you know, with Young Farmers Club and you've got the union and you've got, it, there's such a community feel, there's such a lot of time that people put into those community efforts um, and you're so reliant on your neighbours and you're so dependent on them um, that that's what I really missed in France um, and I felt like they didn't have it as well established as we do here, so me. <laughs> How uh, do you feel like over the past you've been here for... Ah, Cindy. It's Sav. It's Sav. Yeah, you got it. You've been here at Cindy Sav. Have I got that right? Ish. <laughs> we'll gloss over it. Okay, we'll gloss over that. Um, for a year, yeah. a year or so, have you found it, do you feel like you've begun to integrate into the local community over that time? I've definitely, yeah, I've definitely, I was lucky in that I, I used to do stuff with Young Farmers Club and, and the, the Farmers Union of Wales a lot anyway, so I had a few links already, but I've definitely, so I'm now the um, 
Oh, I don't know what it is in English. Isarwainu. Um, <laughs> I'm now great. the deputy leader, I don't know if that translates properly, of our local YFC. Uh-huh. Um, I sit on some policy sort of union meetings here as well. Um, and there's various things that sort of, yeah, help steward at things. And, and, and definitely in terms of, you know, I can kind of go to the mart now and kind of do the rounds and have a cup of tea with people, which is really nice. Um, you know, there's plenty of teasing that you get at the beginning and... Um, but yeah, and no, I definitely feel like I've I've definitely tried anyway to to become part of it. So, and how does that connection with the local community play out in your day to day job? So a lot of it, in terms of sort of the the hill farm side of things, um, all the gathering, the big days, you have to do them as a group. You know, there's just no way that one person is going to gather all of Snowdon by themselves. <laughs> the sheep will just run circles around them. So it's very much a community effort in terms of everyone locally and some extras will come in. Um, everyone will have their place on the mountain and it'll be one massive day of gathering or dipping or sorting. Um, so that's very much, you know, you, and, and also the other side of it is that quite regularly sheep will wander. So you need to have very good relationships with your neighbours who will then ring you up and go, I've got some sheep for you again. They're in the pen. Um, or even, you know, when you're actually getting to know people well, when they'll actually bring them back for you. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're very much reliant on them um, for the big days as well as the everyday work. And for me... So having a clown, which is another national trust farm over the road, um, I'm there most days and I'm very much part of that team. And also I ask them for help a lot. <laughs> um, just for the certain things that you, you do struggle to do as one single person. So, mm. yeah. And you mentioned in our chat before we started recording that Welsh speaking is, is quite important in this part of the world. Yeah, world. definitely. Particularly, to be honest, within the agricultural community, um, Welsh is very much the main language here and and I think it varies you know within agriculture in Wales it's a higher percentage that speak Welsh anyway so it's about a third um whereas somewhere like this probably within the agricultural community it's more like 90% will speak Welsh and it's very much the kind of living everyday language of, of farming here um so yeah that's definitely been a really important part of me probably finding it quite easy to integrate here and and be one of the boys. <laughs> Sorry, I know, I, I know this even on the quote thing. Can, can you give us some, some Welsh terms? Or <laughs> some Welsh farming terms? Okay. Um, I'm just really interested. So, flock is diadell. Yeah. So, my diadell. Um, Devaid is sheep. Um, I think some others uh, that you might... What about things like, um, uh, say, because obviously there, there, are, there are dialects mm. for, say, uh, yow or... Yes, so that's one that I've learned since I've been here. So Tup or yeah. Ram here, they say Maharam, um, whereas where I'm from in Mid Wales, we'd say Hurv. Um, so that's changed. And then Mogal, um, so use, yeah. I would just say Devide at home, whereas here they say Mamogal. Um, yes, yeah, so that's quite. And there's different, so I'd learnt those. Um, fattening, Pesky, um, Hespin. Or yeah. more than one spin-off. Yeah, well, right. th- th- to be honest, those are ones that I'd learned since coming here because yeah. I yeah, hadn't really used that, those before. So, yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> 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 Not to do more pronunciation in Welsh, so given my effort so far. Um, I noticed that you said it helps you to be one of the boys. Is it a male-dominated <laughs> community here? You know, is that a yeah. factor that comes into play for you being a woman in a sector that I guess might be still dominated by men? Yeah, I mean, I think... 
possibly particularly so, I'm not sure why, but within upland hill farming, I found it more than at home, which is more more within kind of dairying or poultry mm. or um, cattle, that I feel like there's more girls that I know at home. Um, whereas definitely if you... Um, if you're in the market, you know, I don't know what the ratio would be. It's probably kind of 30, 40 to one sort of thing. It's very much in the market. It is yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Um, but saying that within sort of the wider agricultural community in terms of, you know, your consultants or policy work or, um, jobs like that, there's, it's more mixed. Um, I think it just seems to be more in the, I don't know whether it's the everyday, um, farming itself I'm not sure but yeah it's definitely I mean I work with 10 men at Havplan mm. so <laughs> yeah I, I definitely say I'm um, in a minority but <laughs> so we've spoken about your granddad already um were there any other people who were inspirations to you or mentors to you whether you knew them or whether you you know saw them from afar I think once I went to when I went to France so I initially just started out um on a farm there woofing um mm. so yeah, if you know what that means. Willing workers on organic farms. There we or go. Worldwide opportunities well, on organic farms. I, I can't that's remember the one which I one knew. it is now. Yeah, I, I don't know. It anyway, but but sometimes when I say that, people go, what? <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> um, so, and and I only started out there just as a, yeah, as a woofer for a month. But the 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 woman who ran the farm there, Mart, Kylie Worthington, was just an amazing role model um she was she was really tough (laughs) and she was tough on me but it was kind of her pushing me that made me stay on there a little bit longer consider the share farming um and I think just seeing her being it was her who ran the farm it was her who very much sort of went no you can do this come on Mm. um and so having that kind of maybe female role model really helped um and she just wouldn't take she wouldn't take no for an answer if I'd say oh I'm finding that quite hard she's like no come on Mm. um and she really pushed me in terms of she'd always ask me well why are you doing that why do you think you know it wasn't an education just in do that do this or this is how it works it was why do you think you do this um and her way of living very much conservation was such an important part to her her way of farming um, and she very much saw the two as being completely integrated and dependent mm. on each other. So that was really, I think, seeing that working in a practical sense, being on a farm that did that, but also being with that sort of person really definitely inspired me. Um, yeah, so my tide and mark probably quite a lot. Mm. I want to go through some of the highs and lows of your time here <laughs> so far. Perhaps let's focus on the lows because they, they, they tend to be more, more, more memorable and more... Uh. Uh, what is and actually, I, I mean, this is one of this is one of Matt's questions actually. But I, I want to focus on yeah. It's, yeah. What is a failure that you've learned important lessons for, from for the future? For, um, <laughs> <laughs> many failures. Um, I think I, I definitely had a tough lambing, um, and that was, that was another one of my questions. Yeah, you? no, it was and partly that was partly the weather in that it was such it was such a late season. The grass just didn't really seem to come through. Um, I'd also never really lambed outdoors before. Um, and basically, I didn't. I either didn't spot the signs too quickly or what, but some of mine went down with magnesium deficiency. Um, but because once I'd found them, and they were, it, it was quite a sudden death after that, the vet then thought it might be looping ill from ticks. And so I didn't feed them. I didn't give them more. I didn't give them enough supplementary feed, basically. 
And I think basically what I'd also done was, sorry, it's getting a bit technical now, but I'd muck spread a bit late in the season before they come back. And then we had a sort of flush of grass. They obviously chomped away at the grass and it didn't really pull up any of the, the good stuff, i.e. the magnesium. Um, and so that's definitely a lesson learned. It's quite a hard lesson learned. Um, obviously, there's things that are out of your control in terms of the weather and foxes, etc. But um, that was definitely one thing where I I know now. <laughs> um, and I think you feel it you feel it harder within farming because you don't get it's not a quick fix off the time you have to wait another year <laughs> um and then obviously you've got the responsibility of the animals as well so i think that combined with then the weather and you're tired and then you've done something wrong that can be pretty yeah pretty heartbreaking yeah, there's, there's a clip from from snowdonia shepherdess which i, I felt for you so much <laughs> you're on the quad and there was a you which had twins mm. one of them wasn't taking and just looked look at your face it's just I, I yeah. know what that feels like yeah it was, it was oh, it, yeah so and then cool. to be filmed oh as well trying to make that decision was yeah definitely probably an added stress but it's it, with those sort of situations it's hard because sometimes you think you know the mum will take them back um and then because it was in the dark I sort of didn't think oh, I'm not I don't want to rag everyone around on a quad and disturb them all so you then make that moment decision to go, right, no, I'm going to leave them to it. You know, I think I say in the film, like, mum knows best. <laughs> but she didn't. <laughs> Damn her. <laughs> what, are, so. what, what are some of the other challenges of farming stock in this landscape? Um, <laughs> one thing is definitely just the amount that they can wander off. <laughs> um, so I have been astounded by how high sheep can jump um and i think because sunday um basically i think the sheep that stayed on here after they got sold there wasn't many of them and so we're kind of having to reheft them here to sunday um and then one of the other scholars didn't keep any new lambs on and then one of them sold quite a lot and and then i've bought some new ones in so is we are kind of trying to re re-heft them um and so they will just wonder and when you're one person and a dog and you don't know the place trying to get one or two sheep in off the edge of a mountainside um you know somewhere that you can't get a quad and that's been really hard and that's where I've really had to rely on having a clan and my neighbours can you come help me today I've got a load of sheep god knows where they've gone now um and so that's definitely been challenging just and yeah within this sort of terrain as well and especially with a young dog um that's been quite hard so um and you um oh wait what's the question i wanted to ask uh, <laughs> i've gone completely out of my head um oh yeah sorry so you were saying before we started recording about how now that the scholarship is three years long it gives you the chance yeah. to reapply some of the lessons that you've learned from the first year yeah. in the you know in the next 12 months and in the year after that as well so you know, despite those failures or mistakes or setbacks, things that are out of your control, mm. you must feel in a good position to, you know, now apply those lessons to the coming 12 months. Definitely. And that's, that's been a really nice part of having it extended because I already feel, so we're in November now, so I've done sort of a year and two months and I literally feel just doing things the second time round, you know, as an example, this last couple of weeks, um, it's been really busy, busy at having a clan. There's been a lot of sheep sorting to do. Well, I've actually been helpful for, instead of being a pain. You know, I've been able to 
get in the trailer and take them places and and I've been you know because I've passed my trailer test I've been able to actually sort of handle them the dog's been there with me and we've actually done some good useful work for once um and so yeah just being able to be more helpful I can do things by myself a lot more um previously I was very much having to rely on them to come help me move the cows um and it's nice I, I can actually see what's worked and what's not this year and and make a few more um, you know trial a few different things so yeah it's really exciting and you do I mean you'll know you end up living and breathing the farm don't you like it's just it becomes the main thing that you think about and you're like right well, we could try this or maybe we could do this or maybe that will work and I do feel now that I live and breathe yeah, I was say, with, with that in mind though how do you find the time and do you find the time to, to shut off no <laughs> um no my family and boyfriend get very frustrated at me because it's all I talk about um and if I'm not talking about that I'm talking about some kind of really boring like Brexit food policy or something um so no I I'm I'm not very good at that um because in the evening sort of you know there'll be YFC or I'll work late or I'll go to a committee meeting <laughs> or I'll watch Fermio or Country File or something so no I do, I do struggle a little bit um, but one thing that I've done a little bit is sometimes I'll go home for a day and that doesn't really shut me off either because I've got some sheep there but in the evening mum will be like right we're in yeah. <laughs> glass of wine vinyl on let's talk about and we literally we put a farming ban on our conversation um, so that's the only way to do it really <laughs> um, shifting slightly to the wildlife side for the mm-hmm. Wild Voices Project bit of the podcast um, are there any kind of memorable encounters with wildlife or maybe just memorable moments you know in the landscape that you've had over the past year or so oh there's definitely been a lot I think because Sunday is I mean the wildlife here is amazing um and I'm trying to think of a specific specific example but there was one where my my uncle came up to watch and he's quite a do you call them twitchers when they watch birds a lot. Is that the word? Twitch is quite sorry. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, no, I just said that. You get Matt's face and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nah, that not nah, what to What's the difference between a bird and a twitcher? <laughs> For the benefit of oh, my no. listeners. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sorry. I'm saying the wrong thing. So, bird watch... Birder is quite general. Twitch is pretty specific. Twitcher is okay. like... I'm going to drive 200 miles to see this rare bird that I've just heard about, pull a sickie, <laughs> get there, see it, leave. Oh. Like that's twitching. Oh, okay. Kind of twitchy when there's an exciting about it. bird. Well, do you know what? I think I might have used it. He's going to kill me now. I think I've used it in the right context okay. because my uncle is, he would do that. <laughs> <laughs> and he lives up in Ilkley in mm. Yorkshire and came here to try and see a hen harrier. Okay. Um, yeah. And I said, oh, I've only seen one and it was over Gethiaga way. It wasn't here. Um, I'm not sure you'll see one. The weather was a bit rubbish, blah, blah, blah. And he literally got here and I was just pointing out a few things on the farm. He turned around and he went, oh, there's one there. <laughs> and it was just all that build-up. Yeah. And I think he was expecting to sit here with a scope for like days. And it was just there. It was just above my house. It was amazing. Um, so yeah, sort of little sort of surprise moments like that. And then I didn't know what a woodcock was before I came here until I literally nearly stood on one. Um, walking down by the lake. And it's and it was just an, uh, sort of an evening walk. And I had Roy with me. Um sort of dusk and it's very down by the lake it's sort of quite boggy mire it's quite the 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 rushes are quite high um 
and we were just walking along and all of a sudden sort of it just sort of flew out at me Wow, what was that and then I went back with someone and they said oh yeah no it's a woodcock so I wasn't sure what its beak was um, but just in general to be honest and seeing kind of the changing seasons here like the autumn has been absolutely oh, beautiful mm, here oh just incredible and what I've what I've enjoyed here that I've not really seen in other places that I've worked um, it sounds a bit sad now but the mosses and the lichens here are amazing Brilliant. they're literally just yeah. like you go through the woods <laughs> and you feel like you're almost in some kind of weird damp jungle yeah. um and it's quite yeah the, the woodland here is is it's amazing and you can almost it almost feels different when you walk into Temporary it rainforests, yeah. Right? yeah 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 and it's it's yeah it's just amazing and that's not really sort of the farm that I was at in France it has a lot of similarities to this but it didn't have that mm. kind of humid damp <laughs> um yeah the mosses are just amazing so, so what um you know, this isn't just any farm, it's a National Trust farm. What's mm-hmm. different about farming on a National Trust farm and on a farm that's owned by that much larger and sure. historic institution? Mm. So I've got, um, just in terms of the practical everydays, we've got um, a we've got the Agri-Environment Scheme, which is obviously just part of, um, obviously that's government-run, but then we've also got layered on top of that um, the sort of National Trust Management Plan for here. Um, so it kind of goes above and beyond <laughs> um, in terms of the conservation side, and especially with Sunday, um, which is very much ran. Obviously, we're trying to get the balance, but at the same time, it's very much um, nature's at the, at, the, at the forefront in a way. The farming side is the main way we achieve a lot of that, and mm-hmm. it's obviously a working farm. Um, but I think it's given an even higher priority um, but it's definitely in terms of it's nice to to be somewhere where that is the that's the goal that's the aim that's where you get you know you, the support is there to farm yeah. in that way, um, and it was it's such a special place for that anyway you know when when they when they got the farm through the appeal, um, it was already in a very good place in terms of nature and wildlife as it is, um, so it's just being able to kind of not just sit back and go oh lovely this is great for wildlife it's it's being able to go right what else can we do? What yeah. more can we do? Let's find some more, you know, more, oh, what are they? CPIs, conservation. Performance indicators. indicators. Those, yeah, that's right. the one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of a, a, an extra, and it's an extra interest to it really, you know, instead of, um, it definitely affects the everyday um, work on the farm as well. So you do have to sort of weigh up your priorities and um, change things about. So, and it definitely, you know, you can see it in the place. There's still work to be done. Um, but it's looking pretty good. What are some examples of the ways that you use the farming to achieve those conservation outcomes for wildlife or for habitats? So the main thing, to be honest, is the grazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, the to, to sort of sum up a lot of spreadsheets and management plans, <laughs> the basic gist of it is that we use low densities of cattle or sheep, um, low stocking densities to basically kind of maintain a nice mosaic of habitat so we're not trying to go right let's hammer this part let's leave that part um so a little bit of grazing here and there means as as an example on the on the mountain in the summer that gets grazed by cattle and sheep um but there's still areas that won't actually be grazed that summer there'll be areas that will be left because the stocking density is so low Mm. and in the winter we pull them off um because if they're if they stay on there during the winter um, they'll be grazing out kind of the shrubs, the heather, the bilberry, maybe. So it gets rest, but it also gets enough grazing so that we don't just get a sudden flurry of bracken. Or there's not just one thing that comes, yeah. there's a mix of things. So some bits get left more open, 
some gets left otherwise so definitely so just to just to kind of elaborate for people what's what's the problem or why is it a problem if you get a big flush of say like bracken for example sure so a lot of it is just to do with diversity so in some places where they've um uh, the the grazing was very much based on sheep production mm-hmm. um so you've got obviously what you want for that is certain types of grasses um so that's what happened um which is fine but then it to counteract that they then went right no we need no sheep at all and they pulled all the sheep off there and all you got was one thing that came instead of it mm-hmm. so you either get just longer ranker grasses coming in this way or areas like this you just get bracken and actually that's not really good for anything because it's just one different type of monoculture basically um so instead keeping that kind of mix of things grazing a few things out um the cattle are really good for kind of trampling through the bracken the sheep will keep some bits really open so you just get that mix of habitats then that then helps everything else come in its place i think what you've described is quite interesting because we were chatting in the car again on the way over about how particularly sheep seem to be quite a polarizing topic in conservation (laughs) and you know at one extreme you've got them described as quote unquote you know a white plague and at the other extreme there's um you know there's people who defend sheep farming really really vehemently and actually what you've described is something a lot more nuanced which i think debates of a lot you know of many different issues need a bit more of is more of the nuance and what's in the middle definitely and i think I think, to be honest, I think that is a perfect example of the, the culture change that needs to happen on both sides. Mm. Um, the reason that we had a lot of sheep on the hills was because the emphasis was on productivity after the after Second World War. Um, that's what it was paid to do. What we That's what we were trying to do. Um, so <laughs> that's what happened. That's not, that's not bad or good or that was the aim. The aim was yeah. sheep. Um, Whereas now we want a we want a few different things for the mountains, so it's starting to change. Um, but the fact that <laughs> the fact that maybe on the more conservation side they will say you know sheep scoured hills, um, and then on our on the farming side um, <laughs> we say well no we've got to have sheep you know it's just it's just a culture shift and there just needs to be more of that middle game and basically all it ends up being to do with is what are you trying to gain from the hills. Um, it's nothing to do with sheep being bad, sheep being good. It's just yeah. your management, and it's yeah. what it's what you're trying to do with the place. So, yeah, we need to. Uh, we we first met at Country Bar Live, and you know you've mm. done the BBC show as well. Do you see the public platform and public profile that you have as a way to bring those, you know, bring out some of those slightly more reasoned and nuanced uh, lines of <laughs> argument or discussion that are needed in what at the moment is in many places quite a polarised debate yeah ooh <laughs> I don't know if I have a public platform yeah I, de- I definitely I'd like to think so um, I think it can be easy to be honest when you're in the everyday kind of slog or hard work of things um, it's term- I find it sometimes hard to then go right I'm going to sit on Twitter and have a debate with someone yeah, yeah. Um, sort of as an example the other day my mum was saying oh you've got to ring in there was something on Jeremy Vine about the, the meat tax where they bandied all red meat as one thing every single type of meat just as one thing which was bad um, you've got to ring in you've got to ring in but I was just on my way back from the market I'd had a bit of a rubbish price I had loads of stuff to do and I just knew if I'd have rung up I'd have been the angry farmer I'd have just been you know um, and so sometimes it can be hard to um, make yourself have that debate with maybe and in your mind you're thinking they're not going to agree with me we're not going to find a middle ground but definitely I think it's really important that that 
we as farmers um, and conservationists have more of that discussion. Um, and sometimes I don't think Twitter's the best place for it because you publicly don't want to be seen to back down. Yeah. Um, I have much more uh, productive chats with people one-on-one, in the pub, on the farm. To be honest, if you get them out here to see the place, um, they may have been ranting at you about sheep scoured hills and then you bring them here and you show them the sort of things that you're doing. And a lot of it, on both sides, it's just lack of understanding um, or knowledge of kind of the reality of both sides. So, mm. yeah, a conversation definitely needs to happen. Do you do open farm Sunday or farm visits or any, any of that stuff here? I do little farm visits, yeah. I've not done um, I've not done open farm Sunday here just because it's on the same day as our local sheepdog trials. <laughs> 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 so that sort of took priority. But um, I definitely like to do more here at Sunday, I think. Um, it's finding things to show them when the weather's really bad yeah. <laughs> is a bit more of the yeah, challenge. The weather's never bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, depends, depends on your definition of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So no, no. Such thing as bad weather only if you're not being You just need good waterproofs, that's all yeah, it is. So but you know, Havertz Land do quite a lot as well. We'll have groups in, and, and what I think Havertz Land is good for as well, sort of taking um, farming groups in as well. and Because um, it's very easy, I think, sometimes to just sort of talk to the converted, <laughs> um, preach the converted. So I think it's important that you get a mix of people on your farm, not just people that are going to agree with you. I should say, after doing both our podcasts, you definitely have a public platform. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thousands of people. <laughs> I'll get back on Twitter. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's pretty amazing what, what you've done here, but we have to admit that you're not the only star of the show here. Um, let's, I really want to talk about Roy. <laughs> um, He's the main man. Yeah, was he was he easy to train? <laughs> Roy, Roy, for those well, of you who don't know, is yeah, is below sheepdog. Yeah, he's a star. Um, so I bought him because I knew I was coming here, and I knew that <laughs> I wasn't particularly experienced or knowledgeable. I needed a dog who who had done a bit already. Um, he's still very young, but he was basically, he had his basic training. So he could do combine, he could away, and he could sort of do stand, um, although enthusiasm tended to, to take over sometimes. Um, but it's been a different challenge here because he's been trained in small fields, um, small flock of sheep, not ones that are going to suddenly leap over a mountain wall, not ones that need to be driven down a mountain away from you. Um, so that's been a really steep learning curve for both of us, really. And that's definitely been, I think, where I've had my most tears, but also my most joy is just training him um, and also getting tips from the people here because they, a lot of them have, you know, three, four dogs. Um, they, they're they absolutely brilliant at training and working them. And so working alongside them is equally <laughs> frustrating because you realize how far behind you are um but also quite inspiring as well so but what frustrated me a bit at the beginning was I would say oh you know he can't do this and this isn't happening and I can't do it and what they would always say was oh me thou which means he'll come it'll happen oh me thou and I would go no tell me how to do it what exactly do I need to do and you know what he has me thou me thof um, he came, it happened, and he is, it's just the work, it's just, lambing really helped, just having him every day, working alongside me, just clicking with him even more, um, getting the stand really good, the lie downs literally only come in the last month, um, <laughs> which is useful, <laughs> um, and just, yeah, just work, and then also me learning to be more patient, I think, um, I sort of wanted to be able to do it straight away, 
Um, and that's just not how it works. Um, so definitely, I think I've been able to sit back a bit myself and go, hold on to Larry, like, what are you doing? What do you need to change instead of just getting angry? Um, so yeah, I know a helped. lot less about this than the two of you. Is, <laughs> is, I mean, it's obviously not just about the commands. Is some of it about your your body cues, your body language? Yeah, it's supposed to... Well, the trouble is, once you're on a mountain and they can't really see you, mm. um, once you're in that sort of situation, it's literally just the whistling. Right. Um, but definitely when you're in a smaller field, it's very much the body language, especially when, when you're in the pens as well. And he knows when I'm in a mood as well. He can <laughs> definitely tell. Um, but we've not actually got the hang of the whistling yet. Um, so that's something that's going to hopefully come in this coming year um so at the moment i'm still yelling at my loudest on a mountain to try and get him to hear me which is a bit embarrassing um and then a lot of it is sometimes when when you're up high he has to be able to work kind of off his own initiative because sometimes the wind picks up he's so far above you that he can't see you so he needs to learn where's she trying to get me to bring this sheep um so it's it's an amazing thing and the the dog's He's getting there, definitely, but the dogs over at Hamilton, they're just, they are incredible to watch. <laughs> um, I think I read somewhere, which means Ben read somewhere, that <laughs> um, <laughs> this question has my name next to it, um, <laughs> that just 3% of farmers in Wales are under 35. The average yeah. age is over 60. Um, why do you think why do you think that's the case and why does that, why does that matter? Oh, it matters a lot, but I think in terms of why it's an issue um part of it now is to do with the fact that um a lot of us have gone to uni and maybe come out of uni with an expectation of some certain type of job a certain wage certain expectations um and i think farming there's a lot of amazing kind of um jobs within the industry but the actual day-to-day farming itself it's hard it's long hours it's pretty rubbish pay (laughs) um and you don't really get a holiday which is i think you do well I think I came out of it as well thinking those are things that you just expect um from a job um and I think you know before you always had that maybe you were working with your your parents and and you grew up doing it and it was that expectation that you were going to take it on whereas now I think people are going well maybe I can do something a bit different um I do fancy traveling a bit I think maybe because there's more opportunities um people are almost less tempted to have to do that long hard slog in order to get the farm at the end of the day mm. um and, I, and it is a hard industry to get into i think more um farmers sons and daughters are going out of it and at the same time i think a lot of people want to farm but um you know i found myself it's a really expensive thing to try and do you know land is ridiculously ludicrously expensive mm-hmm. Um, tenancies are still quite expensive because you have to pay for stock, you have to pay for machinery. Um, you know, the, the, the prices aren't there like they used to be. The subsidies have gone down. Um, whilst there's so much going for it, and I still think it's the best job in the world, um, there's a lot of barriers to getting into it. Um, and there's a lot of challenges. And I think a lot of my friends would, they like the idea of it and they'll come visit for a weekend and go, oh, look at the cute lamb. Um, or wow, you live in an amazing place. You're outside all the time. Amazing. Yeah. Or they'll look at someone's Instagram and go, wow, farming's amazing. And then if they actually come and do the everyday, it's not quite so tempting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the everyday stuff is, it's tough, but I think it's really, really rewarding. But um, it's definitely a hard thing to get into. 
What do you think kept you going when a lot of other you know, young people <laughs> would have looked at it and gone, oh, maybe that's not for me, or had a go uh, at it? And... <laughs> Obviously a bit mad. Um, <laughs> we I th- were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think was I think because I went off and did other things, um, but wanting to and and I think I I tried to do, I did try and do other things I did yeah. try to have a different career and um, and I think just when I actually went and did it and just sort of did you know a week lambing for someone or um, went off to France and stuff there was still I still loved it despite those the hardships and I think what I find really rewarding is just there's something very physical at the end of your day that you've done. Whereas when you sit, when you're in an office, um, okay, you've answered so many emails, you've had a meeting, you've achieved these certain things, but you actually, at the end of your day, you've gone, right, well, that's sorted, or I built that, or that lamb is fatter. (laughs) Um, And it's very kind of real, it's very physical. Um, And also the... I think it's a. I think it's the most. This is very, very arrogant. But I think it's the most important job in the world. So I think you know well you said. you <laughs> you get a lot of satisfaction out of the fact that you are you're producing food and you're managing an environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you can have a very negative effect on them, but you can also have a very positive effect. Um, and so I think yeah, I think it's it's there's there's the everyday slog, but there's also that kind of higher, bigger thing that you're achieving as well. Yeah. So. Um, I completely identify with the looking back at the end of the day and seeing what you've done. You know, I worked on nature reserves for a couple of years and yeah. there's nothing like looking at a piece of land yeah. after a day's work on it and thinking, that's the impact that, that I've made. Um, we haven't asked much actually about your time in California yeah, or your marketing absolutely. stuff that you did as well. What, Even if those were a bit different, what yeah. skills or lessons did you learn from those roles that, have, that perhaps you've brought into, into farming? I think in terms of, I don't know how much I brought this in, but when I was in California, kind of, um, I was working in Oakland, um, and the sort of, the food access there was awful, so you could literally go to a corner shop and very easily pick up, um, what are they called, these like awful kind of very easy ready meals, kind of corn syrup stuff things, Mm -hmm. getting fresh fruit and veg was like nigh on impossible, and it was really expensive, um and there was you know a massive problem with kind of obesity there and um you know a lot of people there was a food bank there and so seeing that aspect of farming and food um was quite kind of I found it quite hard hitting I find it quite sad like I always you know food was just a complete given to me and the fact that you could access it was a complete given um, and so I find that really interesting because you're sitting here producing it, but, but then you think, well, actually, where is this actually going to go? Is this going to get to people that actually need it? Um, and so I think that's a really important thing to to remember when you're farming as well. Um, there's just so much that ties into the food system um, and there's so much to fix. <laughs> um, there's so much that needs improving. So I find that really interesting. And then the marketing work that I did, again, that was sort of realizing that a lot of it comes down to not the fact that you're producing something to an amazing quality and you're putting your heart and soul into it and the you know it's conservation grazing a lot of it comes down to how it gets marketed at the end of the day and mm-hmm. where it goes um and so i think in my in the future i'd like to think that i could direct sell my own produce um because i have got the marketing role and i think that's where a lot of the, the stuff that's produced here gets sold kind of for below what it a lot a lot less than what it's worth because as farmers we're not 
marketeers, we're not salespeople, um, and we're not into branding. So it's a very different skill set that we've got. Um, and so I think if the two were tied together more, you would, you know, the, the stock that I produce here could actually be sold as conservation greys, national trust, yeah. snowdonia, lamb, you know, um, yeah. and actually go for what it's actually worth, what it actually is, instead of just, you know, going off to the mart and going in with everything else. So. Yeah. What words of advice could you give to uh, another young person who's interested in... Well, I, 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 I ask this question so much to people and I, I love the diversity of answers I get back. <laughs> okay, uh, no pressure. Yeah. What, what, what advice would you give to a young person, no background in farming, um, but where, where, do, where do they begin? Where do they begin? Um, so I did a lot of... Again, this is kind of through my granddad though, but basically just offering myself up as free labor <laughs> which is a bit of a depressing way into it but that was for me that's how it yeah yeah in a lot of things isn't it you know yeah. um and so and i think just if you're hard working and you're quite respectful of people um and you you're willing to just kind of start at the bottom and prove yourself a little bit i think people do respect that initially i found it hard to get work experience i was only i was 14 and tiny i probably wasn't a particularly helpful person to have around anyway um but just you know just working hard and going you know please can i just have a week um and then they say oh you know fair play well done and they'll they'll say to someone else oh she was quite good for a week um and i think the other thing is actually making sure other people know that you want to get into it um not being kind of cagey about it but very openly telling everyone that you know <laughs> I really want to do this and then people kind of keep their eyes and ears open for you and and that's where a lot of my opportunities have come from people have gone oh you you're quite into that I've heard about this um why don't you go for that um and so I think yeah making sure that people know being quite open about it working hard and just yeah just keep keep plugging away at it really um because i think you know to be fair some people that i met volunteering in france they openly went i've done this now i don't ever want to do that again (laughs) and i think you need to you know you need to realize what you want to do and i think you know it's very easy to be idyllic about a dream that you think you've got whereas maybe once you've done the hard slog (laughs) you might change your mind and that's perfectly fine i think you need to work out what makes you tick um, and I thought for a while in France, you know, I was really into kind of doing home-produced veg and oh God, I couldn't be bothered to water them all the time. <laughs> I'm very openly not a vegetable person. I loved going to worm the sheep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the other people there were like, what? You know, yeah. why don't you want to spend time in the garden? I just, I just didn't. So I spent a few years ago, a couple of weeks woofing. Mm. on a goat farm a goat dairy farm in Somerset uh-huh. and yeah, that put me off goats for life yeah. <laughs> you won't be diversifying into goats Absolutely no, not. no. <laughs> what's next for you <laughs> I assume you'll be sticking in Wales mm. uh, I hope you'll be sticking in farming definitely definitely um, so obviously I've got Sunday for another couple of years and then, I, you know, my, I'm constantly thinking about what I could be doing. A lot of it depends a bit um, in terms of possibly getting a tenancy. Um, that's still, you know, I still see, need some need to have saved some money behind me in order to do that. Um, and I think it would need to be the right kind of tenancy as well. It's hard. With farming, you put so much into the farm um, and the place itself. Um, that even though I think a tenancy is probably 
the logical next step for me. It's hard as well to think if you're really going to build up a, a business and, and kind of do a lot on the conservation side of things as well, it makes more sense for it to be your own in terms of what you're putting into it sometimes. Um, but maybe that's just, you know, an a, assumption that I have. So I definitely want to keep farming. Um, I do still enjoy, I'm still quite involved on the policy side of things. Um, and I do really enjoy that. And I think it's a really important time to stay engaged um, in agricultural policy. So possibly I'll keep, keep on with some of that work as well. Um, what I'd really like to do is find a way to be able to direct sell whatever I'm producing. Um, so that's, I think, maybe a, a smaller a smaller plot of land might work better so that I can kind of develop. It might be on a smaller scale, but develop that side of things more. Um, and I think around here, you know, there's such a story to be told here. And there's a lot of tourists here. So, and there's a lot of people that, okay, some of them just want to come into the mountains, see how beautiful it is. But a lot of them, when they stop me on the farm, they're genuinely quite interested. You know, how does this work? Why have you got the sheep here? How are you doing that with the dog? And I'd love to be able to do more, not educational side of things, but just kind of engagement. Um, I think it's really important that we do more of that now. I think it's important more than ever that we've got sort of the, the public on our side. Um, and especially that's going to help us, you know, in terms of payments or subsidies that's going to help us on the conservation goals as well um you know at the moment it doesn't particularly pay to to do that type of farming in some respects um and it's so important that we do so yeah it'd be nice to think a little bit more engagement and better policy would um would help achieve that really just a few questions left to wrap up with so one that i often ask towards the end of my podcast is are there any particular books maybe films or podcasts that you often recommend to other people oh okay um that's a good question i so mark kylie worthington that i worked for in france she wrote a book where is it i've got it up there somewhere um i think it's called um food first farming Mm -hmm. and it's about eco or her definition of ecological agriculture and that's kind of my bible (laughs) um i absolutely love that i listen to i do listen to Farming Today and Crossing the Earth quite a lot. Fermio, um, you can watch it with subtitles. So Monday night's on S4C and it's also on Catch Up. It's the Welsh farming programme. It's on for half an hour, I think it is. Yeah, Fermio. It is brilliant. Um, so it's very much, it kind of goes, it tends to do kind of three different stories. Um, and a lot of the, the sort of farming community around here, if they don't speak Welsh, they will watch it with subtitles. Mm. Um, it's very real, it's very honest, and, and I do love watching that. We, we don't get stuff like that in England. Yeah, I don't know why. Fermio yeah. is brilliant, yeah, um, yeah. and there's not, yeah, because there's what would be the closest thing you've got country file, I yeah, suppose, exactly. yeah. or gosh, it's, just, it's, just it's quite different to country file. Yeah. <laughs> quite different. <laughs> um, so, now yeah, I do love that, and then probably a bit of a standard one, but um, The Shepherd's, is it Shepherd's Life by, Tom, by James Rebanks? Mm, um, yes. I did love that. Mm. That was one of my favourites. Um, ooh, I don't know about any others. Dick Kingsmith. <laughs> Sophie, <laughs> Sophie's stories inspire some little children to get into farming. Yeah. So. I think Ace, uh, Ace was my favourite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mad one. Yeah. Um, what are some of the jobs coming up or maybe some of the changes in the landscape over the winter that you're looking forward to? <laughs> Looking forward to winter. Looking forward to maybe um, that's not the right phrase. <laughs> you asked me this one, and I gave this to you a huge 
<laughs> Looking forward to spring. Maybe the scenery out of the window. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, this, to be honest, um, I was kind of, this month's been a big one in terms of just getting everything sorted. So yeah. I feel I've got a little bit of a tiny breather now. I shouldn't say that, something will happen. Um, so this month's been quite, yeah, autumn's really busy, um, yeah. which has been, has been, I really enjoyed it because it's been, I mean, I'm really run down, as you can tell from my voice, but it's been quite, it's been a heck of a lot of kind of sorting sheep. There's been a lot of gathering, which has been great because the weather's actually been quite good. Mm-hmm. So we've had some really good gathers. Um, then yeah a lot of kind of sorting sheep big days dipping the cattle are now in (laughs) well you you need to go hear them later on because they are noisy um so yeah so now i'm kind of getting into the sheep a lot of the sheep are away wintering now um the cattle are in so now it's my really important time to get a lot of the maintenance jobs done so I have got dry stone walling to do coming out of my ears, um, fencing, and then the big job for the winter, which will kind of be enjoyable because it's an amazing view. But the mountain, the the sort of the mountain part of Thunder, the <laughs> the mountain fence needs a lot of work, and that's somewhere where you can't really get to with quad. <laughs> so it's going to be hard. It's going to be a, a hard job to do, but it's going to be quite satisfying. So. So I'm going to stray from the script and ask a question that's not really out, but um, <laughs> how do you prioritise between all those different jobs and how are you like time to, have you got a system for time yeah. taking all that? Um, my, it's, my phone, so I've got a list, it's, it's, it's a bit chaotic, it's on my phone somewhere, but, so I've got important slash urgent yeah. in one box uh, and I've got yeah. important, no, urgent, not important. Yeah important not urgent mm. and then on the cart on the books I don't know what that is in English but um and so basically I just kind of wiggle those around and I've got a list for <laughs> this is really sad I've got like a six month list I've got a month list I've got a week list and then like the night before <laughs> my boyfriend really hates this I lie in bed going and you see this and then I'm going to see that and then I'm going to do that and then I make a little list just before I go to sleep it's really sad but yeah just lists I love lists no, that's really interesting to hear that. really... <laughs> And to be honest, sometimes it never works out that way because like this morning I got up and I was like, right, I was going to do some things with the sheep. I got up and the cows had escaped. So that was my morning job, you know, mm. list done. Yeah. Um, so and then, and then, yeah, something will come up and I'll be over at Hamilton for a few days trying to help out. So it, nothing goes quite to plan, but there's certain things that need to happen mm. um, by certain times. So. That's a good, a good farming friend of mine from Somerset before I started farming properly uh, he said farming is 95% firefighting <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so it really is it really is running out this morning I've got CCTV in the in the cow shed I came down and, and sort of was making myself a cup of tea and I was like oh god quite a nice day ahead of me today and I peered over the CCTV and I was like where are the cows <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know how but they were wandering down the lane so yeah that was that was my firefighting <laughs> Definitely. Um, I think that's kind of the end of our list. Is there anything else that you wanted to say or that you expected us to ask? Or is there anything you want to ask that you nothing, thought? Nothing else for me to ask. This, uh, is, this is your time. This is my, oh dear. Your message to the world. My, oh no, don't do that. <laughs> I haven't thought about anything. Um, the very small world that listens to the world versus the farmers. <laughs> right, I'm no sorry, the very large world. Rapidly <laughs> expanding world. Uh, come visit Thunder. Um, as long as it isn't a big world that's listening <laughs> that would be awkward um, yeah no I think I think it's I think it's an exciting time for agri I think it's a really important time to get behind British agriculture I'll be honest um, I think it is quite 
with the changes that are coming, it is quite a scary time. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, especially in terms of trade. Um, so I think, yeah, buy local. Um, don't be too quick to judge. Um, and also, yeah, I think we should just need to kind of engage better with each other and um, hopefully things will improve. Great. That's great. Yeah. Random. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was amazing. Noisy, Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation, and you can find more of them at wildvoicesproject.org, on Twitter at wildvoicesproj, or by subscribing to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks very much, and until next time.